Hello, exalted listeners, and it is an honor for you to listen to us. We hope that you are all doing well and staying safe out there. And welcome to the Star Wars Stuff podcast for this week's edition. Uh, Labor Day was yesterday, and uh, we hope if you uh, celebrated that holiday or was off from your job, we hope you had a great holiday weekend. Still no trailer this weekend, but uh, we did get some news in the form of an Entertainment Weekly article uh, that was uh, released this morning. Uh, I woke up this morning, I checked Facebook, and James actually posted about it. That's how I found out. It's an Entertainment Weekly first look, and it had some interesting tidbits in there, uh, more than I kind of expected to to read about. I think there's actually a lot of The Mandalorian Season 2 news and information out there. I just don't think people are really talking about it, are really kind of grasping all the stuff that they're giving us. Um, so I'm not quite sure if I should talk about it that in depth, but I think if you've been listening to the podcast, you, you're probably aware of certain things. The article starts off with uh, a trip to France. Uh, John Favreau noticed a mural of the child, the asset. At, we call him Baby Yoda. Um, I kind of stop referring to him as a child and the asset because a lot of people don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, but I affectionately like to call him Baby Yoda, and it seems like the whole world calls him that. So. I think we talked about it before on the podcast, but Barrow alluded to the fact that he was in a country that Disney Plus was not currently legally streaming in, and he saw a mural of Baby Yoda out there, and that's when it really finally hit him that, yeah, they created something that is, is ingrained in pop culture. Um, it's just one of those things. I mean, when you create something, you don't know if it's going to hit. And I think he was shocked. I mean, he's so deep into the process of making Star Wars TV, making The Mandalorian, that you figure he has a little bit of self-doubt in, in what he's doing. But, of course, he mentions in the article that Dave Filoni, who we all know very well is an executive producer on the show and he's a director for the first episode which i thought he did a fantastic directing job for his very first thing he's ever directed in live action i loved it um he references the fact that he checks with dave filoni and to see if things are right and we've talked about the lucasfilm story group before there it's like seven people deep and they're the fact checkers, but of course, Dave Filoni studied under George Lucas for so many years doing the Clone Wars animated show, and it's just an incredible thing that Filoni has kind of proven himself. We all heard for years Filoni needs to do live action. Uh, Filoni is Dave Filoni is basically the man now, taking over for George Lucas and. I wasn't super skeptical, but I wanted to see how The Mandalorian would turn out. And then, of course, after watching Gallery, he really kind of proved that he understood Star Wars. And he knows, more importantly, how to make Star Wars work in live-action TV. And, of course, he's proven himself in Clone Wars. But, of course, that's, that's animation and... Just, I wanted to really see what he was capable of, and it seems like he's the guy. Him and Favreau, we've said it a thousand times by now, I've said it. They just need to take take over Star Wars, Lucasfilm, uh, the creative aspect of it. Let Kathleen Kennedy sign the checks, make the hires, run everything through Filoni and Favreau, and possibly even Feige when he does his film. And... We should all be good. And the article talks about how Favreau thought he had the edge because people had lower expectations. People 
didn't have expectations, lofty expectations for a Star Wars a live action thing. It wasn't a movie, it was a TV show. I had huge expectations for this show. And I didn't really want to get my hopes up because, of course, I really got my hopes up with The Last Jedi and how that turned out. But I had a feeling with Favreau at the helm and then Filoni coming on board and them just being friends. I think that's kind of an underrated aspect of the whole thing. How fortuitous of it all it was how Favreau met Filoni at Skywalker Ranch. They talked about it at Celebration, at 2019 Chicago Celebration. And it's just, it, this has just become a perfect storm. And then for Favreau to be who he is, he has clout because he started the MCU. He's proven himself, Filoni's proven himself in Star Wars with the Clone Wars and Rebels. And having someone like Filoni there that eats, breathes, sleeps Star Wars and that knows Star Wars and that it's just, that's all he is, it seems. That's all he does. That is really the key to success. I think when I look back on the sequel trilogy, Yes, J.J. Abrams was a huge fan of Star Wars, and I thought The Force Awakens was a great starting film for the sequel trilogy, but J.J. has his fingers in so many different other projects and companies, and it was just, he had one foot out the door almost, and he tried shopping his company around, and of course, he shopped it to Disney, and they didn't buy Warner Brothers, however, paid him an insane amount of money for him to go over and work on future projects for the, for them. So, And then we had the whole Benny, Benioff and Weiss situation where they were going to do a series for Netflix and they were supposed to do a Star Wars trilogy Then it became one film that they were directing. But Disney Plus and Netflix, I mean, they're the rivals basically. And it's... That's a super huge conflict of interest there. So I think it's better that we have someone like Filoni in place. And look at the results. It's working. It's it's on track to be the thing that defines Star Wars probably for the next, might be forever. Uh, unless the, the films that Taika comes out with, Kevin Feige comes out with, are just super groundbreaking it really feels like to me Disney Plus is where we're going to consume our live-action Star Wars uh, for the foreseeable future, really. And the thing that's going to keep us keep us excited, keep us hyped up. Um, but like I said, Taika's a brilliant director. I hope that it's as good or better than what he's given us in the past. And of course, if Feige gets in there, he's... He's a super huge Star Wars fan. We've talked I think I've talked about it on the podcast before, but when Hasbro Lab did their um, their pitch for the uh, cell barge, Java cell barge, the uh, a big Hasbro toy that you can actually fit the the uh, Hasbro uh, Jabba the Hut inside the cell barge perfectly. Um, they needed enough people to pre-order to actually put the but the toy in production, and apparently the way the story goes is Kevin Feige is the one who put them over the top and allowed Hasbro to actually create all the cell barges that are now out and probably twice or three times the price now. But, man, I should have got in on that. I think it was like $500 for a cell barge. But I know the Russo brothers talked about how the directors of Civil War, Infinity War, Endgame, Captain America, Winter Soldier. They said that when they went to his house, there was boxes and boxes of cell barges everywhere. And that's how we found out through an interview they gave. Kevin Feige bought a lot of cell barges, and they were just at his house, which is kind of a funny thing. But that's how big of a Star Wars fan Kevin Feige is. And, of course, he he has a lot of money now. He's pretty wealthy. Uh, Shepard in the MCU like he has. And in the article, it does state that 
Uh, Filoni's mind is so deep into a galaxy far, far away that he often expresses his thoughts in Star Wars metaphors, such as describing his partnership with Favreau as bringing balance to the Force. Oh my God. That's, that says it all right there. I mean, it, Favreau and Filoni together, this just makes me want to see a film or a trilogy or something else aside from, I know they have their hands full with the Mandalorian Season 3 now and post on Mandalorian Season 2, but I'm just hoping that Favreau just stays on and just does Star Wars with Filoni, just be like Filoni, just do Star Wars until until the end, you know? It's, it's an incredible thing that Lucasfilm has finally found, it feels like, and... Favreau breaks down the process where he says he'll come up with the ideas and sometimes Dave will say you can't do this in Star Wars and then he'll cite examples from the movies or Clone Wars and he'll try and justify it and Favreau says he's like a lawyer talking to a judge and he's he's uh, what George was to him you know and it says in the article that Favreau won't do anything without Dave's approval. I mean, imagine that. I mean, that's that's high praise. That's just the most amount of respect you can give to someone for the franchise. And I think he's earned all of our respect through Clone Wars, let alone Rebels, and now The Mandalorian being the executive producer. And just hearing... The cast talk about Filoni. I mean, this this guy, He, I mean, he's it. I mean, he's the next George Lucas. And speaking of George Lucas, he was on the set, and he did rib Dave Filoni a couple times, uh, telling him to go faster and more intense. And I just, I just love the fact that Lucas shows up still, you know? The article also states that the new season is about introducing a larger story in the world. Favreau says. The stories become less isolated, yet each episode has its own flavor. It felt like season one. It felt each episode was distinct, and you could almost kind of tell that it was different directors guiding each episode. And hopefully we're bringing a lot more scope to the show, adds Filoni. And I think that really alludes to all the rumors that we talked about, how certain characters are going to show up, and I don't think anyone's coined this term before, but I think characters from the Filoni-verse are going to show up. <laughs> and I think I'm going to talk a bit about that uh, probably at the end of the podcast in case you don't want to be spoiled, which I'm not sure if anyone listening to this hasn't already kind of heard who's going to show up. But um, yeah, I'll give uh, the warning klaxon at the end and, and talk about it a little bit more. And Gina Carano actually adds something to it in this article. And um, the article states, Everything gets bigger, the stakes get higher, but also the personal story between the child and the Mandalorian develops in a way I think people will enjoy. Which, I mean, you have to have Baby Yoda in there. He has to have, he or she, I guess, we're going to find out um, in the future. And we should be finding out the baby's name. But uh, that wasn't, I don't think it was actually referenced in the article, which is kind of interesting. Maybe they went back on that. Who knows? Um, And while the first season episodes were strictly focused on Mando, season two adds new storytelling angles. As we introduce other characters, there are opportunities to follow different storylines, Favreau says. The world was really captivated by Game of Thrones and how that evolved as the characters followed different storylines. That's very appealing to me and as an audience member. I mean, right there, I think our initial want and expectation was for this show, The Mandalorian, be a lot like Game of Thrones. I mean, they hired the Game of Thrones creators, uh, the TV creators, and... I mean, if they're going to do what the rumors say they're going to do, you're going to have to have multiple storylines. And I think as fans, I think that has to make us really excited. And there's a mandate now 
if you haven't watched all the stuff of the Filoni-verse or read the visual dictionaries and have known exactly what Filoni has done in the past, I think it's time to... You got about a month. You got almost about two months to catch up with everything to kind of get all the references, all the Easter eggs. So, I mean, the hype is real here. I mean, Filoni is ingrained. And this kind of proves out that he's he's taken on Star Wars. I mean, it's pretty much his call on what we're going to see. Also, the article states, the larger scope was aided by having fewer startup costs for the second round, which meant a greater percentage of the show's big budget. Estimated at $100 million for the first season will wind up on the screen. So that helps a whole lot. Uh, once again, there will be eight episodes of different lengths. There's probably even variation in episode links this year, Favreau notes. And directors include season one standout Rick Famuyiwa, Carl Weathers, who plays, of course, Grief Karga, franchise newcomer Robert Rodriguez, who lives 50 miles away from me in Austin, and for the first time ever, Favreau himself, who helmed the season premiere. So just like how Filoni directed the first episode, Favreau's directing the first episode for season two which, of course, we all know it's airing the day before Halloween, October 30th. And as Mando and the child continue their quest, expect the bounty hunter to face a series of obstacles that will increasingly challenge his parental loyalty to his ward. We start very directly after the first season, and he's going into a very dangerous territory, Pascal 45 says. He is very much a passenger to the experience in unexpected ways. Not knowing what's to come, not knowing how much or how best to protect the child. We don't know how far he will go to do that. And they're finding new ways to push the envelope. This is all exciting stuff. In addition to wearing a helmet nearly all the time on screen, Pascal points out that the Mando's motivations are largely obscured as well. On a moment-to-moment basis, he's discovering that question, what do you want? the Game of Thrones veteran states. Another Game of Thrones reference. That isn't clear to him or to me at at Filoni. We think we know how the characters are going to react. It can be surprising how they do react. And of course, Moff Gideon is showing back up, played by great actor Giancarlo Esposito. Uh, Mando and the child are pursued by Gideon, who will serve as a source of temptation in the classic tradition of Star Wars villains trying to lure heroes down darker paths. I'll be going toe to toe with Mando, which is kind of a kind of a big kind of spoiler spoilery thing, I I would think. But hey, they put put it out there in the world. But I mean, I guess if you watched season one and he busts out with the dark saber, I mean, you expect that he's gonna utilize that weapon, and we're gonna see it in action. Uh, Esposito, who was nominated for an Emmy for his first season performance, it's an iconic battle. I want to disarm him mentally as well. Who knows? That just kind of tells me that he might be Force-sensitive. Maybe there's an opportunity to get him into a fight, some battles for me. Maybe there's an opportunity to get him to fight some battles for me. So it looks like Moff Gideon may try and turn the Mandalorian, kind of recognize his talents. You may think I'm a villain, but I'm trying to harness some energy and some powers for a path that could be best for all. That makes my brain go to, okay, well, he's trying to get Baby Yoda to maybe clone him or to maybe extract the Metachlorians or whatever you can extract to maybe create another super force being. Who knows? You'll get to see him be somewhat diplomatic and more of a manipulator. Now, there's a picture that they released, and it looks like he's wearing kind of the same stuff, but in the background, that's the thing that caught my eye. Is he maybe on a Star Destroyer? Is he on some other craft that we haven't seen before? Not sure. So, by season two, even on a full show of celebrity talent, when guests visited the set, nobody was a bigger draw than the green 16-inch puppet. Last season, the child was on set, and we weren't sure with the puppet if we would even use it much, and turned out they actually used it a lot. Filoni says... But in season two, he was the biggest thing on the set, of course. I mean, he's a breakout star. 
global celebrity, Baby Yoda. There was a, a total shift around him. Everybody liked him before, but he wasn't quite the celebrity. This time, he was quite a big deal. And even as a puppet, you can't walk by the child without having an interaction because it's so very sweet and innocent. Gina Carano talks about how when she was acting alongside Pedro in a scene where Pedro wasn't filmed, he would take off his helmet so she could look him in the eyes, which I thought was interesting. And Pedro Pascal talks about how it was tough for him to kind of convey what he wanted to convey, of course, because he had the helmet on. So he used small physical gestures and intonations in his voice, which were really good and kind of brought the character to life on screen. And the article also talks about how the the filming fortuitously wrapped just be, just four days before the industry-wide COVID-19 shutdown in March. Um but then they had to figure out its labor-intensive post-production process in the pandemic era. And the biggest challenge was Ludwig uh, Göransson's orchestral score. They actually had to record people remotely or in smaller groups, social distance, far apart, uh, Favreau says. And as of right now, he's hearing um, the mixes for the episodes and he thought it was remarkable for what they achieved under the circumstances. And of course, we all have massive expectations for season one, um, the follow-up to season one. And The Mandalorian season one benefited from the expectations. article talks about it, and I think it's true. I mean, we didn't really have expectations. And it was it was odd to me how people didn't kind of get really pumped up. I got pumped up because I knew it was Favreau and he was going to be good. And the only criticism I have, I, I think, is the fact that this, the episodes aren't at least an hour long. I would love to see hour-long episodes. Um, but Gina Carano talks about how the public popular rumors about what characters are going to show up and what actors are going to play what characters. She actually states that some of those are correct and some are wrong. Which ones she's talking about, I don't know. Um, but I'll talk about that in the uh, spoiler section at the very end of the episode. So The other kind of quote here, uh, Filoni says... You want The Empire Strikes Back to be better than A New Hope when talking about the second season for the show. And it feels like there's going to be a very The Empire Strikes Back vibe for season two. Um, you may see some characters, I think. Um, it probably will get darker. So, I mean, how, how, how much more hype can you get, really? And, of course, the pictures... Uh, that we got a couple of covers uh, for Entertainment Weekly. Um, cover two of two is The Mandalorian with Baby Yoda in a uh, bag with a strap across his chest. And it looks super rad. And I'm looking at it right now. and You can see the Mudhorn Signet on his right pauldron. And... Of course, you have the other cover, which is Baby Yoda blown up um, next to the Mandalorian shin, I believe. Um, and it looks like he's wearing the same stuff. But the one thing I did notice, uh, this is cover one of two, his his eyes, his iris and his pupils, you can, you can kind of see more of the brown in his eyes. There's a lot of scenes where his eyes just look black to me i don't know if it was my tv or computer screen or whatever my phone that i was watching it on but i thought his eyes could use a little bit more improving i don't know but that's just my critique and of course we have the three shot of cara dune the mandalorian where you can clearly see the signet of the mudhorn on his pauldron then you get a picture of grief karga he has a white beard and he's wearing some garb that looks a little regal in a way maybe it kind of it's a disguise possibly maybe he's 
going back to his uh, magisterial days, if that's a word. I know he was a disgrace of magistrate. Um, maybe he gets some access somewhere. But, yeah, I totally was not expecting this this morning. And I spoke to Colin this morning about it, and we tried to... Of course, we talked about not having a trailer still and being this close to the second season. But it's probably due to the fact that Mulan went to Disney Plus streaming and they didn't want to kind of suffocate that press and have all the people that were going to purchase that, that film for $30 on Disney Plus, go ahead and do that and not be distracted by what could be an incredibly awesome, shocking trailer for The Mandalorian Season 2. And I thought back today on, on Sam Witwer's comments that he made months and months ago, it almost feels like years ago, that he has inside info on Season 2. And he said this Season 2 will blow fans' minds. And I'm starting to... Really get hyped for that. Um, and I'm just waiting on the trailer. Of course, today is the day after Labor Day. And then tomorrow we're going to get a huge trailer. We know for sure for the Dune film that comes out in December. Um, which does have ties to Star Wars, actually. Uh, there is an article out on Nerdist where they talk about how the creator of Dune was thinking about suing George Lucas for all the similarities. When you look at it on the surface, I mean, it's kind of tough, but I read the article and it talked about how Tatooine, a desert planet, was a lot like the desert planet in Dune. They had moisture evaporators in both in both series. They had um, they compared the the giant worms on Dune to the Sarlacc pit mouth. Um, and they compared, I'm probably going to put the article up on the Facebook group. I tried, uh, copying the link and pasting it, but for some reason it wouldn't let me. Um, but yeah, I'm going to post that and hopefully, uh, you guys can check it out and come to your own conclusions on if Lucas did take a little bit too much from Dune, but of course Lucas took a lot of stuff from other franchises. He wanted to initially make a Flash Gordon movie. That's what Star Wars was going to be, but he couldn't get the right, so he made Star Wars, yeah. I mean, totally beneficial to us because um, we wouldn't be here talking about this. I don't think I'd have a Flash Gordon podcast. But, yeah, it's it's an interesting read. I'll post it whenever I find the the actual article. So someone did ask me when the trailer was going to come out, when they thought I, I thought it was going to come out. Um, it seems like no one really knows outside of the inner circle of Lucasfilm when this trailer is going to come out for The Mandalorian Season 2. And best guess would be, I mean, you figured it had to come out pretty soon. But the NFL season is starting, and of course, Disney owns ESPN. They do Monday Night Football, maybe during a Monday Night Football game, um, possibly. Uh, the season's about to start, so hopefully we see the trailer then. Um, so either next week or the week after that, I have no inside info. That's just an educated guess, but... Uh, you know for sure we're going to be back on the podcast talking about it, breaking it down. That um, should be a whole huge extravaganza. But um, John Boyega came out and had some interesting words about his experience on the sequel trilogy. From me being on the outside as much as I am on the outside and being the huge Star Wars fan and having the podcast and reading different things and trying to find out what rumors and try and figure out what sources to trust. Um, it seemed like he had a great experience on the film, but of course he came out recently 
this past week and talked about how Lucasfilm didn't do his character correctly. He didn't serve uh, the character properly. And initially I thought back and I, I said to myself, well, I mean, what the sequel trilogy was about was pretty much about Rey and Kylo. It was a Skywalker saga. Um, their race, I mean, you're, you're, you're going to have to have the same race as the Skywalkers to, to concentrate on. But, I mean, I guess there could be a way to do it for a different race. But, I mean, to me, it was always going to be about Rey and Kylo. Once you found out Kylo was the kid of Leia and Han, I mean, we all kind of assumed Rey was a Skywalker. And Spoilers for the Rise of Skywalker. I mean, yeah, she, she did end up being a Skywalker. But not the way we kind of thought. But still, when we saw the image of Finn holding that lightsaber for, I believe it was the first trailer? I guess it was the Celebration trailer where he's holding the lightsaber in the end. That gave a lot of people hope that we were going to get a non-white Jedi uh, character in the film and that's where my head went immediately when I saw that I said oh wow that's pretty cool we're gonna have we're gonna have a black Jedi basically and that's he's gonna be force sensitive which of course spoilers for the rise of Skywalker he was force sensitive and John Boyega came out and said he they didn't really flesh out his character. He didn't have an arc like Rey and Kylo did. And he also says, don't go after J.J. Abrams. That's his boy. He tried to to end it uh, with short notice in the sequel trilogy. So J.J. was, of course, under the assumption that he was going to leave Star Wars after The Force Awakens. And who knows what happened after then, really. I mean, Colin Trevorrow got fired. And they were kind of in scramble mode. But, yeah, I kind of would have liked to see Finn fleshed out more. But see, it's a lot harder to do that in films as opposed to series on Disney+. Plus. But, of course, John Boyega made the statement of, which really makes me cringe. He said, don't Disney plus me. And I just couldn't believe he said that. I mean, that just screams just, I mean, I didn't believe it at first that he said that because, I mean, Disney Plus, it feels like to me, is the rock solid future. If you want to invest in TV or film, it's almost not even close <laughs> it seems at this point that film that tv is going to be the future i mean you look at right now at the current state of things with covid-19 the theaters are struggling who knows what's going to happen with that um the streaming wars are happening i mean you can go directly into people's houses and the quality of content that we're getting on streaming is just like a feature film albeit we don't have these mega huge screens in our houses some people do the lucky few but we 4k tvs are very affordable now people buy those people buy sound systems and we can consume them at home i know i've had this discussion with my friends about going to the theater versus watching something on streaming I mean, you, you can't really replicate what you get at the theater, but I love the fact that we can just stream it at home and we can almost kind of own it. I mean, the whole thing with Mulan, you can you can get the premiere access, you pay the $30, and you get to keep the film the whole time you're subscribed, unless you cancel your subscription and you lose it. But to me, Disney Plus is the future. And we're going to get the Kenobi show. We're going to get the Cassian show. So when John Boyega said that, I was like, man, he's possibly going to regret that. 
but it seems like he's getting a lot of film work. He's He has a lot of projects lined up. And I do wish that, that Finn got more fleshed out. I mean, it, it would be pretty cool. But I think the thing that really intrigued J.J. and really got him to do Star Wars initially was the fact that he had a female protagonist. He had a girl that he was that was going to be essentially the main character and have her lead us on the adventure and he concentrated on her, him and Kasdan. And of course, he had Oscar Isaac there as well and it kind of feels like I mean, they fleshed out as much as they could for all the side characters, even Rose in the Last Jedi and I know people are kind of yay and nay about her, but I liked her as an actress. I thought she did a good job for what the character was. Um, but of course, in The Rise of Skywalker, it was J.J. directing. He didn't pick her um, as a character. He didn't create that character. So he was trying to tie up loose ends and tie up nine films. He always stated, but it really didn't feel like it tied up nine films to me. Now looking back on it, it feels like it tied up the trilogy, but not the entire nine films. But that's a discussion for another time. <laughs> so I actually did go out to the movie theater this past week, and I saw Tenet. And I was thinking when the whole pandemic happened that I probably wouldn't go to a theater. Maybe, maybe to see Dune, but that's probably it. And then I got kind of excited for Tenet. Um, but my buddy invited me, he bought, he bought me a ticket, he did all his research, um, he's a big movie guy, big Star Wars guy, he has, like, a huge sideshow collectible collection, and he bought me a ticket, I decided to go, we talked about how safe it was gonna be, um, all the social distancing they were doing, and it was a Cinemark that we went to, and as soon as you walked in, there was sanitizer ready for you. Um, there was social distancing stickers on the ground telling you to stay at least six feet apart from people. But there was hardly anyone there. When I got there, it was about five minutes until showtime. Uh, when we, when he bought the tickets, once you selected one, two, three, four, however many people were in your party, the seats, two seats to the left, two seats to the right were blocked out. So when we got there, he bought tickets in the middle center and there was actually no one sitting in our row, which was pretty nice. And this was a theater that has the nice leather reclining seats. And, and yeah, the experience wasn't bad. Um, if I could go back to that same theater, which is about an hour and 20 minutes away from my house, I'd do it again. But probably not until Dune happens, and I'll probably want to see that in IMAX. And that trailer comes out today now. Um, but I did go out with my kids. They wanted to go out to Walmart to buy some stuff. They have uh, jobs of their own now. They, they're they teenagers, and they wanted to go buy stuff, and I said, well, let me head on to the clearance aisle and see what's there. Sometimes they do have clearance stuff, and it's usually stuff that's kind of obscure, but they actually didn't have anything in the clearance, so I went to the toy section. I always go to the toy section to check out the Star Wars stuff. And I went a couple weeks ago because I saw nothing but Darksabers all over my Facebook feed. People buying them left and right. And of course, when I saw that, I went right to Walmart, which is pretty much down the street from my house. And of course, they didn't have any. But this time, they did. And I did buy one. And looking at the packaging, at first glance, it looked like it was from the show The Mandalorian. But it's actually... It's more Clone Wars pictured. There's a picture of Darth Maul, or Maul, uh, with Sabine Wren holding the, the Darksaber. Um, but yeah, it says Mandalorian Darksaber. And on the back, it says uh, Swing for Battle Effects, and then it's in a whole bunch of different languages. It lights up, it has sounds. Um, there's also something on here. It says in the front, Ancient Mandalorian Lightsaber. 
So you can actually push the button, which I'm going to do now, to ignite it. And you hold the button, it turns off. And you just press it down to hear the clashing sound. So I still have it in the box. I haven't taken it out yet. I have a Kylo Ren lightsaber, kind of similar to it, the toy lightsaber that we might possibly make a TikTok video or something. But, um, yeah, I bought that, and there was also the Admiral Akbar figure in the new packaging for Black Series. I believe it's still called Black Series. I didn't read the packaging, but, of course, I love Admiral Akbar. I love anything that's Akbar. I guess he's my Max Rebo to Colin. Uh, Admiral Akbar is to me, so... Um, yeah, it's a shame they killed him in The Last Jedi. Rest in peace. Too soon. Too soon. But, yeah, I'm amassing a whole bunch of toys. Um, this past, these past two weeks I had off for the celebration trip. And, of course, celebration 2020 didn't happen. They rescheduled it for 2022. But I still had the days off. I took the days off. I rested. I relaxed. I dumped on my laptop, I tried to learn a few things, um, but I also acquired some things. I acquired some new shelves, um, so I have double the shelf capacity in my office, and I have a lot of Star Wars stuff. Um, I got my uh, all-white Boba Fett helmet in the mail. I was able to, I actually just opened that up, and I put that up on the shelf. Um, also, uh, I acquired a... Uh, Baby Yoda from Sensi, uh, which I actually bought two of when we're going to do a giveaway for pretty soon. I'm not sure when and how we're going to do that, but we're going to do that. And I actually got to watch uh, the series Cobra Kai. And if you're, you might be too young, but you might know about the Karate Kid and have seen those movies. I'm not quite sure. I'm not really in touch with today's youth, but. It's a great series. I thought initially, because when I was growing up, I'll just say this. The Karate Kid was huge. It was another huge franchise just like Star Wars. Not as big, but just as talked about. And it happened, came out in 1984. So that's right after Return of the Jedi was in theaters. So it was the next big thing. And there's a lot of iconic lines and scenes and things that happened in that film. And of course it became a franchise. It spawned sequels. And when I heard about this Cobra Kai series two years ago on YouTube uh, Red or YouTube Premium, I was kind of thinking, really? Seriously? I mean, it sounded so cheesy. But the guys who came up with the show are actually huge Star Wars fans. And, of course, they were huge Karate Kid fans. And they did the show right. I mean, pitch perfect. They got the same cast back. And it made me think these guys could maybe use this and helm something that's Star Wars related. Because, I mean, the show's awesome. It's got a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. The Mandalorian has a 93% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So they've done two seasons. But, yeah, I definitely recommend checking out that series whenever you get the time. And as always, if you could, go to Apple Podcasts and write us a review and give us five stars. That greatly helps out our podcast. Also, you can find us on Patreon, of course. We have a few tiers you can join, which we're going to really upload a bunch of content in the near future here. I'm going to actually do some um, exclusive podcasts where I talk to some very serious, hardcore Star Wars fans. Um, pretty much the hardest of the hardcore. <laughs> You'll see what I'm talking about if you join Patreon. Um, but of course, TikTok, we're on there. Um, uploading. Uh, Twitter, at StuffPod. Uh, Instagram, Star Wars Stuff Podcasts. Of course, we're on Facebook. We have a page. We have a group. You always post funny memes and it's usually funny memes, and of course, when there's huge breaking news, uh, be sure that we'll post it there. Um, and of course, when the trailer comes out, you'll be able to find the trailer there automatically. And of course, you can always email us at StarWarsStuffPodcast at gmail.com. 
email us whatever you feel like telling us uh, if you have suggestions for this for the show uh, if you want us to talk about a specific news story let us know may the force be with you always and if you want to listen to some spoilery details um, just stay tuned and I will uh, talk about that next Okay, so today I got further confirmation here about some details that I think we spoke about in the past on some spoiler sections of our previous podcast. But, of course, we don't have the Season 2 trailer, and no one knows what's going to be in the Season 2 trailer, and no one knows when it's going to be dropped online. But it seems like... If you're a fan of the Filoni-verse, your dreams are going to come true. Because apparently, I have it on good authority here. Not from my traditional source, but from some, from some sources that are pretty reliable. That everyone that reported on Sabine, Rex, Boba Fett, um, Ahsoka Tano, of course they're all showing up according to this source and they 100% believe it and going back to that article I talked about how Gina Carano said that some are going to appear some are not the rumored characters apparently they're all showing up so that's why I kind of talked about in the podcast earlier that if you really want to know everything that's going on you need to jump on the Clone Wars if you haven't already in Rebels because there's going to be a lot of info. And hopefully that article stated they're going to go in different storylines. Hopefully we get uh, some storylines with Sabine. Maybe Ezra Bridger. Ezra Bridger, though, hasn't been totally confirmed yet. That's the one character I don't think they've they've spoke about. But it feels like we're going to get something Thrawn Ezra Bridger. And it, it feels kind of unbelievable in a sense. But... There's a foundation there that Dave Filoni has laid, and he's in a position where he can utilize what he has shown us in the past, which is an incredible thing. And me not being the biggest fan of Clone Wars, I want to see Clone Wars action. Now, as far as seeing Clone Wars action, live action, in The Mandalorian Season 2... Some people think that that's probably not going to happen as much as maybe possibly the Kenobi series. But it seems like we're going to get Rex, Boba Fett, Ahsoka Tano, Sabine Wren all show up. And apparently the rumors have been true. So what Gina Carano said in the article might be her just trying to cover tracks and just not telling us the truth. Just trying to throw us off the, the scent there. But... I'm hyped for it. I know you will be too. And I I can't wait. We're so close. We're so close. October 30th. And this trailer might just be incredible. But of course it might not show us much. So I know at Celebration Dave Filoni, or John Favreau talked about I think it was at Celebration he talked about let's not unwrap Christmas presents here. <laughs> But of course I'm talking about in the rumor section, so hopefully you're not listening to this if you didn't want to be kind of spoiled. But of course, it's just a a rumor, but it's from trusted sources. So it's going to be incredible. If it does happen, which I'm thinking it is going to happen, it's going to be incredible to see these characters in live action. The Sasha, the Sasha Banks rumor for her being Sabine Wren might very well be true. So, all we got to do is be patient. Patience. That's one of the tenets of being a Jedi. So, thank you once again. May the Force be with you, always. And this is the way. In Phantom Menace, 
you're watching these two Jedi in their prime fight this evil villain. Maul couldn't be more obviously the villain. He's designed to look evil, and he is evil, and he just expresses that from his face all the way out through the type of lightsaber he fights with. What's at stake is really how Anakin's going to turn out because Qui-Gon is different than the rest of the Jedi, and you get that in the movie, and Qui-Gon is fighting because he knows he's the father that Anakin needs because Qui-Gon hasn't given up on the fact that Jedi are supposed to actually care and, and love and that that's not a bad thing. The rest of the Jedi are so detached and they've become so political that they've really lost their way. Mm-hmm. And Yoda starts to see that in the second film. But Qui-Gon is ahead of them all. And that's why he's not part of the council. So he's fighting for Anakin. And that's why it's the duel of the fates. It's the fate of this child. And depending on how this fight goes, Anakin is gonna, his life's gonna be dramatically different. So Qui-Gon loses, of course. So the father figure, because he knew what it meant to take this kid away from his mother when he had an attachment, and he's left with Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan trains Anakin at first out of a promise he makes to Qui-Gon, not because he cares about him. When they get Anakin, when they find him on Tatooine, he says, why do I feel like we've found another useless life form? He's comparing Anakin to Jar Jar. Scared me. And he's saying, this is a waste of our time. Why are we doing this? Why do you see importance in these creatures like Jar Jar Binks and this 10-year-old boy? This is useless. So he's a brother to Anakin eventually, but he's not a father figure. Mm. That's, that's a failing for Anakin. He doesn't have the, the family that he needs. He loses his mother in the next film. He fails on this promise that he made to mother, I will come back and save you. So he's left completely vulnerable. And Star Wars ultimately is about family. So that moment in that movie, which a lot of people I think diminish into just all oh, just a cool lightsaber fight, but it's it's everything that the entire three films of the prequels hangs on, is that one particular fight.